I'm Josh Shapiro, and I'll hold the oil and gas companies criminally liable for poisoning our air and our drinking water. I'll be an attorney general who always works for you. 30 seconds and counting. This is News Coup, a public herald production where we set the record straight on what's in the news. People need to have confidence in their justice system, and I will apply the law without fear and without favor. I know how to clean up a mess. I know how to make government work again. Hi, everybody. This is Melissa Troutman, director at Public Herald, and today is Friday, February 8th, 2019. A criminal investigation of the oil and gas fracking industry is underway in Pennsylvania, the nation's second largest producer of natural gas. Pennsylvania's Office of the Attorney General has assumed jurisdiction over several criminal investigations in Washington County. In the last eight years, the fracking industry has spent over $40 million on lobbying in Pennsylvania. So it's no surprise that even though they've had over 4,000 violations, all they've ever gotten is just a slap on the wrist. It's time for that to change. The Attorney General's office is neither confirming or denying that an investigation is actually happening. But if you've been following Public Herald's work over the last two years, you already know there is. Specifically, that the Attorney General's investigators have been visiting the homes of people across Pennsylvania who've lost their water, their land, their cattle, and their health due to oil and gas operations. If you haven't seen our stories about this yet, you can get caught up at publicherald.org by searching Attorney General. It's not just the industry's fault that people in Pennsylvania have been harmed by their operations. Some of these people living without clean water for years and ignored by nearly every public official they turn to for help. The Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection, or DEP, whose job it is to regulate the industry and enforce the law, has failed to do so in many cases. DEP is complicit and responsible for the continued contamination of water supplies across the state and for allowing them to stay contaminated. How do we know? More on that in a moment. But first, we need to set the record straight. In an article published by the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette on January 28th, reporters declined to reveal Public Herald's role in a May 2017 meeting with Attorney General Josh Shapiro's team in Harrisburg. That meeting came at the behest of Public Herald and impacted residents who attended to share their stories. Some of them came with piles of documents too large to even carry. Public Herald brought scientist Dr. John Stoles from Duquesne University, who served on our Science Advisory Board for a six-year investigation of water contamination from fracking development in Pennsylvania. This investigation revealed the cover-up of environmental crimes by DEP and the industry. At that meeting, the Attorney General's investigators told us, we need a smoking gun. And so, we gave them every smoking gun we had. Since 2011, Public Herald has reported 
about Pennsylvania's cover-up of water contamination related to fracking development. We also developed two feature documentaries, Triple Divide and Triple Divide Redacted, about this problem. In 2016, Public Herald called for a criminal investigation of the Environmental Protection Agency and DEP based on the evidence discovered in our investigations. Over the last seven years, we've compiled a list of 178 cases of misconduct by state officials who have manipulated and broken the law, letting companies pollute residents' drinking water over and over again. We published a list of these cases in January 2017 and took them to Attorney General Josh Shapiro in May. Finally, nearly two years later, we've confirmed that Attorney General has had two grand juries in Pennsylvania. In both, impacted residents took the stand to testify. What's unclear is whether state officials complicit in those cases have also taken the stand and whether the Attorney General has questioned state officials about their own misconduct. This list of our investigations and our work is not to boast. It's to show that this has been a problem in Pennsylvania for years and that the evidence of this problem has been available for years. We're happy to see that the Attorney General is moving in this direction. We recently sat down again with Dr. John Stoles about the crimes of the oil and gas industry and state officials in Pennsylvania. Dr. Stoles has been intimately involved with many contamination cases across the state. He's conducted countless water tests for residents. He studied some of the worst cases of drinking water pollution, and he serves on the Department of Environmental Protection's Science Advisory Board. He's also on the Science Advisory Board at Public Herald. Dr. Stoles sat down with Public Herald Editor-in-Chief in Pittsburgh for the following interview. Hi, John. Thanks for making the talk today. Hi, Josh. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with water contamination from oil and gas development in Pennsylvania? Well, as you mentioned in the introduction, my research group has been looking into incidents of water contamination and water quality, both surface and groundwater, and particularly private wells in southwestern Pennsylvania. And we've interviewed you know, hundreds of, of individuals. We've sampled over 1,700 surface and groundwater samples to date. And we've been looking at and trying to see whether or not there's a correlation between uh, unconventional development and increases in changes in water quality. Why did that happen? Why, why did you end up beginning to test people's water supplies? Well, it, it began initially more as an ecological study because no, the industry is not required to do any sort of environmental impact. And so this started off as a, a study down in the 10 Mile Creek watershed. And one thing led to another and I, my laboratory became set up to do routine water testing. And we started getting requests from people that we talked to if we could test their water and one thing led to another and basically for the last six years or so through funding through the Heinz Endowments and Colcom Foundation we've been providing free water testing for folks with private sources of water i.e. A, a private water well. And what's the most concerning conclusion you found to date? 
Well, the, the conclusions of this uh, several years is basically that there's a number of different ways in which a well can get contaminated. There's different sources of contamination. We have a lot of legacy issues, but that definitely from the development of uh, unconventional oil and gas, um, it has a tendency to exacerbate these issues. And you've had a lot of communications with the Department of Environmental Protection in Pennsylvania, um, both with uh, some reports that we've talked to you about at Public Herald and then also with, of course, your own studies. And what observations have you had uh, of DEP along the way? Well, first and foremost, they really are trying to underplay just how bad the situation is. And uh, I say that because, you know, thanks to folks like you, um, uncovering the fact that there have been, you know, thousands of complaints. In fact, since 2004, which was the advent of the uh, unconventional development in the state, um, there have been over 10,000 complaints. And uh, so basically, you're almost at a one-to-one ratio of, of an unconventional well to complaint generation, if you will. And you know, this, is, this has been totally underreported. It's been totally underplayed. And that's the first thing. The second thing is even how they deal with the complaints and the fact that the total number of complaints that have been found to be the result of contamination by unconventional drilling has, has been a fraction of that. And that the there's a major difference between positive, what we would call a positive determination, in the northern tier versus uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. And that's uh, disconcerting as well. And what, what is a positive determination? A positive determination basically says that, yes, indeed, um, oil or gas uh, drilling activities led to the uh, diminution uh, of either water quality or water quantity in someone's private well. In, in our reporting, we released films like Triple Divide and Triple Divide Redacted, where we've looked at those positive determination cases and also the negative determination cases where they said there was no impact. And in the cases where we saw there was no impact, we found that there actually was impact. And for some reason, it was ruled otherwise. So we know that the state has a, a number for what they consider to be wells that are impacted by oil and gas. But from our experience, that number is biased, low, and inaccurate. Is that true for you, too? or? Well, it, it's clear that when you you know do the deep dive and you look at the complaints, you look at what's reported, you look at the you know field reports from the DEP and the eventual letter that's generated, you find that that there are certain parameters that are adhered to specifically. So for example, if it's a conventional well, it, you know you have to be within a thousand feet of the wellhead and you have to report an issue within six months. For an unconventional, it's a, a bit larger and longer in the sense that it's 2,500 feet from the wellhead and one year. And if you don't, or say you're, you know, 2,500 feet and uh, 10 inches, <laughs> well, you're outside the, the uh, zone of presumption. And we've seen this happen where you have a series of homes, um, you know, close to one another, drawing from basically the same uh, aquifer. And, you know, the ones closest to the well are found to be impacted 
whereas the ones further out are not, even though uh, the same parameters, the same contaminants were found in all the wells. You know, that's, again, using the law to <laughs> the letter and, and uh, you know, denying people recourse just based on the letter of the law. And what, you, what you're describing is cases where the department has misinterpreted the law that applies to these homeowners, and that law is the Section 3218 of the Oil and Gas Act, which is Act 13. And in that, you know, it's set up in order to protect homeowners from any kind of issues that might happen in the future. But the way that DEP has been using it, it seems to be in a way to protect the industry from liability in terms of water contamination. Well, again, and we have to be careful here. A, I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but uh, so I'm not going to interpret the law one way or the other. Um, but I do believe that the intent of the law is to protect the citizens of Pennsylvania. When we look at some of these determination letters, again, I'll give you another example. You know, as a scientist, I look for a common denominator. I look to, for the simplest reason why a number of, of parameters are out of whack or are present in a particular water sample. When you look at some of these determination letters that are, that are negative, that are basically absolving the, the gas and oil company from any responsibility, there's an explanation for the different parameters that, that were found rather than saying that it all can be related to the fact that this individual lives 1,500 feet from an impoundment where all these chemicals were found. I use one case in particular where there were organics and it was explained to the homeowner that these are typical lab contaminants and, you know, this is rural Pennsylvania. There's not going to be a research lab located out in the middle of nowhere. And again, <clears throat> there are other, other parameters that when you find methane, when you find chemicals, when you find... Uh, uh, hide what we would call total dissolved solids. Basically, the water is no longer potable. And, you know, they're within, say, a, a mile or two of a, you know, a major well pad with, with multiple wells and an impoundment for recycling and things like that. You know, it just astounds me that they're able to discount all this stuff and then, then, then of course, say, oh, and by the way, there was a junkyard down the street from you, and, and the likelihood of your well-being contaminated by that junkyard is far greater than this huge industrial complex that, was, that has gone in over the last couple of years. I, I see it time and time again, and some of these letters are, are amazing prose. In 2017, um, Public Herald published a report right after we revealed all of this complaint data that's out there that had never been published before. But we said in the second report that we uh, had discovered 178 cases of DEP misconduct, situations where they had violated their statutory obligations under Section 3218. And that was in a, in a review of around just around 1,000 cases of complaints that we, we ended up reviewing. 178 of those were littered with the types of misconduct like uh, malfeasance, misfeasance, and negligence. Things similar to Flint, Michigan, for instance, where homeowners called up with serious concerns about lead in their water, and the health department or the state or the EPA began downplaying those concerns and making those people feel like they were exaggerating or being dramatic about the situation when, in fact, they were all being poisoned. And that led us to speak with the attorney general's office. And we spoke with the attorney general's office in May of 2017. 
to share that evidence. And uh, you were there with us. Do you remember that conversation? Absolutely. What were your thoughts about the outcome of that conversation with the attorney general? Well, again, I think they were, you know, at the, the, the after our first meeting or during our first meeting, I think it was obvious that they were assessing the situation just to see what they were getting into. And subsequently, you know, we went back and saw them again. And uh, just within the last couple of uh, weeks, I've met with them uh, yet a third time. And it's a very complicated matter, and there's a lot of things that are going on. And uh, I think what my opinion, again, I don't know because I didn't, they didn't tell me exactly what they were doing, but you know, it looks like they're, they're, they're lining up their, their ducks, so to speak, to see what they can, uh, where they're going to go with this. Um, because again, you know, technically they're, they're charged at looking at environmental crimes and uh, uh, that whether or not, uh, you know, the companies are, are involved in specifically that. Um, and then whether or not they're going to go after the DEP, we have no idea. And they would be charged, though, as an office for going after official misconduct if it existed in a public office. I I think what has to be underscored at this point is the fact that without the DEP working for the citizens of Pennsylvania, it is going to be very difficult to hold the industry accountable for the environmental and financial difficulties that are being foisted upon these communities. You know, at this point, you know, when, you, when, when you wind up pursuing a particular case, and I, I, you know, full disclosure, I've been involved in several cases at this point. I've been an expert witness in two, that, you know, you have to drag in the DEP. And, you know, they, the, 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 their representatives that did the, the testing and, and uh, you know, were involved in individual cases have, uh, are being brought in and cross-examined and, and, or deposed and, and, and provided testimony. But the fact of the matter is, is that they, you know, the, if you just look at the preponderance of evidence uh, with the different cases and the number of complaints and how they were, were resolved it is clear that the DEP is not working for the citizens of Pennsylvania, and it's very, very frustrating. Given all that, and then given our conversations with the Attorney General over the last year and a half, were you surprised when the Post-Gazette published an article last week saying that grand juries had been opened up to pursue environmental crimes against the industry, and in the article that from the Post-Gazette there was no mention of the DEP? Yeah, I, I mean, I was surprised, but but again, um, you know, I I do know that there is going to be more articles in the series, but um, whether or not, as I said, we don't know whether or not the attorney general's office at this time is going to go after the DEP. I mean, I, I think it was clear that the you know the the DEP uh, just a few years ago had had an audit done by the state, and it, it was not a very pretty picture and. And again, once again, the, the response from specifically oil and gas was, well, no, we've addressed the issues and uh, made some changes, and that's clearly not been the case. I mean, it's still business as usual there. And once again, if you look at just what's happened since the original public health report, the, the numbers are, are increasing. And in fact, we're up to over 
as far as uh, you know, as a, a new, any new well has probably an eighty percent chance of generating a complaint of one sort or another. I mean, at least that's what the numbers are saying. So it's not getting better. So you know, something has to be done. And with all that information, unfortunately, a lot of it we didn't read in the Post Gazette report. We just read about. Uh, for instance, the potential for industrial crimes, nuisances related to things like flaring and, and loud noise and, and, and situations like that for homeowners where they may uh, suffer loss of standard of living due to the development of shale gas next to them. Just to summarize that report for the listeners, you know, the, the Post Gazette published a report where they had spoken to sources in Washington County, Pennsylvania, and those sources had claimed that they had written letters to the district attorney in their county and that district attorney and then referred those letters to the attorney general and they dealt specifically with environmental crimes that the the industry had perpetrated on those folks in Washington County. So then at that point the attorney general sent out new investigators as far as we know these investigators were different uh, than the ones we spoke to a year and a half ago and they then began questioning those folks down there about industrial crimes. And then after that, a grand jury was opened up for a woman who had issues down there, and they took her testimony. And then the story came out that this was actually going on. And of course, we knew behind the scenes that there was discussions going on and that the attorney general's investigators had met with Dr. Stoltz and met with met with uh, folks down in, in Green and Washington counties. And we had hoped that they would have at least been having the discussion about the DEP misconduct because those two counties were ones that we pointed out during our conversations to have some of the highest issues of, of state misconduct and also the highest issues of industrial problems, specifically because the data was so skewed. You know, For instance, in a place like Washington County, you might have one or two known contaminated water wells on the books for, for instance, 500 different complaint investigations. But if you take that same number and you go up to Bradford County, in that area, you're looking at close to you know 60 water wells contaminated for the same number of complaints. So there were serious discrepancies in the data, which is why we recommended AG people go down there and, and take a look at it. But we understand that, that you talked to the reporters from the Post-Gazette but you weren't quoted in the article. And what, what did you guys end up talking about? No, well, we talked about a lot of different things. So, you know, because I, I also deal with other issues uh, other, than, other than water. So, again, I mean, I think that as the in- investigation goes on, and especially with the AG's office, that it's going to uncover more information. And, you know, once again, I think the, the ideas as they go forward is to, to see which cases are the most tenable for, for uh pursuing. And again, unfortunately, being stupid isn't against the law. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's where I'm going with that one. That, that, that when you look at, at, at some of these things that whether or not it was just gross incompetence or, or deliberate, um, honest to God, it's hard to tell. And, and so, you know, you really want to make sure that, you know, the evidence is going, you know, that the, the evidence is strong that you can make a very, very solid case. Part of the issue, and it gets back to, you know, just what is showing up in, in the water, the mere fact that they're not finding any particular chemical that can be traced back to a fracking fluid, for example, doesn't mean that the 
fact that a, a person's a well is no longer potable, because truth be told, it, it's mostly you know mine drainage or brine. It could be from a shallower formation. We have a developing issue right now in at the the Beaver Run Reservoir. Uh, they were drilling. The company was drilling a, a, a Utica well, and somehow it uh, in the process it cross communicated with four shallower conventional wells. Well, they're flaring those conventional wells right now to control the the, the pressure buildup. Number one, number two. Uh, so far, according to the company, no contamination has showed up in the groundwater. But if it does, it's going to be from the conventional wells. And if you, by you know DEP standards, would say, oh, you know, this is conventional gas. This is an unconventional gas, so it had nothing to do with the Utica. No, it does have everything to do with the development of the Utica in this case, and and the contamination when and when it will happen will be the result of this drilling activity and that i see it time and time again where they attribute it to something else because it is not directly from the formation that the company's been drilling for and with the beaver run case i mean we're seeing all the red flags come up with dp over there again uh the stories published so far have shown that dp has not canvassed the area we saw that CNX, which was the driller involved, had reached out to something like 70 households, and the three that were quoted in articles had said that they had not spoken to DEP or had not heard from the, anybody in the regulatory office. So again, I mean, we, we have the same instances popping up where DEP is supposed to fil- fulfill their role and begin investigating whether or not those places have had pollution. They're not doing that. And in the articles that are being published, the companies are able to come out and say that there's been no environmental pollution, but in fact, we have no environmental testing from the state at all. Is that right? As far as I know, and again, I mean, it may be that they're out there right now as we speak, but you know, the the DEP is monitoring the situation. Apparently, they do have boots on the ground there, but again, I think it's more <laughs> they're addressing the more critical situation of of um, you know whether or not they're going to have to cap this well, and and then we'll 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 have to see how if it has any effect on the water quality in the reservoir, if it has any effect on the many local private wells in the area, and we're going to have to continue to monitor because it it may take time for you know the real damage to be realized. And to help listeners understand the seriousness of this, you know, in in other places where we've seen a loss of of pressure and this kind of uncontrolled gas migration happening either you know in, in communications to water wells or communications to old gas wells uh, we've seen families completely lose their homes uh, in places where where this type of stuff has happened because those homes have filled up with methane uncontrollable amounts of methane even with methane mitigation systems they weren't able to completely remove the methane from those homes and in, in one case I remember a family had uh, worked on that property for 16 years. It was their retirement home and they were forced to leave to a situation similar to what we're reading uh, right now. So that's unfortunately that's not being communicated right now with the residents up there, the, the seriousness of those concerns. But we would, we would think that somebody like the state would be obligated to come in and hold a public meeting and, and begin to share that information. But we're, we're not seeing that. 
Well, at least not now. And again, to reiterate, it was a loss of pressure in the well that was being drilled or fracked, and it was being fracked, and a buildup of pressure in these shallower wells. Why I underscore that is the fact that that change in pressure is going to change the watershed. It's going to change the, the water table. And as a result, there are going to be situations where whether there'll be a diminution of water quality or quantity, we don't know, but it's definitely going to change because the, the system, if you will, has been pressurized. So if we're looking at the, um, the story that we know right now about the Attorney General's office, Shapiro's office, looking at the industrial crimes on the oil and gas industry, what's, what's missing from that narrative? Well, I think that everything has to be on the table. But again, I, I don't know the specifics. I'm not a lawyer. I'm, uh, or a pro- at it, though. I mean, we're seeing that what's missing from it is, is the DEP conduct. Why, why aren't we discussing the DEP conduct? Well, I, and, and I agree that the DEP conduct, but you know, maybe that's down the road. I, I, you know, obviously, they have limited resources themselves, and they need to you know, go. And you know, in their infinite wisdom, it may be that they see that they can achieve a greater impact if they go after the companies with the discussion about you know these industrial crimes is it possible to separate the industrial crimes from the dep crimes they are two different kettle of fish in the sense that on the one hand you're talking about a private company on the other hand you're you're dealing with a regulatory agency and you know that regulatory agency ultimately has to answer to the citizens of pennsylvania and at this point, based on the allegations that, that we're saying in, in our reports, I mean, we haven't seen them answer in a way that is uh, acceptable or reasonable. Right. I, I, and, and, you know, you could complain all you want about resources and saying that, you know, they don't have the resources to follow up on every case and that, that you know, the, the DEP is not in the business of water testing. But the reality is, is that, you know, they have a charter, they have a responsibility. And not only have they not been living up to that responsibility, in my opinion, but they have also made it very difficult for, you know, individual citizens of Pennsylvania to seek justice under circumstances which uh, they've clearly been harmed. You know, in our experiences with this, we started off reporting similar to what the AG is investigating now, which is this environmental nuisance, this industrial crime that, that's happening. Uh, and we found people who were unable to sleep, unable to live their lives due to the development of oil and gas and the promises that the oil and gas company had made were broken once they got underway next to, the, next to those homes. It seemed like these cases were everywhere where industry was committing these these serious nuisances from township to township all across the state, anybody we talked to. But the thing that really shocked us, I guess, the thing that we ended up focusing Triple Divide, the Triple Divide documentary on and Triple Divide Redacted was the DEP conduct because it was shocking to us to discover that alongside these serious industrial nuisances that were happening to homeowners was a state investigation that was also filled with nuisances in terms of violations to their statutes 
under the oil and gas law where they just they just did not do what they're obligated to do under the law in order to protect those families and make sure that you know that they were safe you know i remember the one of the very first cases that we investigated the company had claimed that they did a pre-drill test and they handed the pre-drill test the baseline test to the state and then they started drilling the well pad the state never did any of the work to follow up in the pre-drill to find out when it was done or how it was done or anything like that when the water ended up going bad at that house and the company came back and said look here's the pre-drill test it was always bad here we found out right away that the pre-drill was done after the drilling started so it wasn't actually a pre-drill test it's situations like that where you know the state has seemed to leave people open to injury like over and over again what can we expect as an outcome for all of this? You know, what, what's your hopeful outcome, you know, and looking at all of this that's going on? Well, I've always said from the beginning that I want to help DEP do their job better. And uh, whether it's, you know, looking at different parameters, we're finding that lithium uh, may be a very good element for them to test for. They're, they're testing for it whether they, whether they know they are or not because it's part of the the suite of elements that are typically analyzed by, um, you know, mass spectrometry, which is what they they actually do. But again, I mean, I th- I think you know, all things considered, that they have to do a better job. And you know, we uh, you mentioned about you know the pre-drill testing and and verifying. Uh, this is something that we've seen uh, in, in certain instances where it's clear that the documentation that's being provided to the, the DEP doesn't even make sense. I mean, there was a situation in one particular site where there were four different well pads and they had been reclaimed because obviously the once the wells went into production, they had to reclaim the area. And the dimensions of the four pads were identical, where, you know, a simple, you know, Google Earth of these uh, well pads showed that they were four different sizes. So it was clear that the reports were just cookie cutter and submitted saying, we've done our paperwork, we're done here, and the DEP rubber stamped them. And, you know, that... that can't be. I mean, these things have to be verified. And if they need more personnel, then talk to the, you know, the governor. Let them know that this has got to be addressed. Just to say, well, everything's under control and that what they're doing is perfectly fine. They're not going to change. And I can say that I personally had that told to me by the head of oil and gas, you know, Scott Perry, I'll mention his name, said to me, we are doing a fine job and we're not going to change anything that we're doing. And that's a concern to uh, to me because we know that they're not. And as a result, the industry continues to do what they're doing. There's no transparency. And don't even get me started about the SAB workshop because everything that came out of one industry representative was completely false. And I, you, you can't operate under those conditions. And, and uh, the proof of the pudding is in the fact that the DEP continues to get complaints. And if we're getting better, those complaints would start to evaporate and they're not. So that's the real test. And there's a direct correlation between upticks and downticks in activity within the industry and upticks and downticks of complaints. 
And uh, there's certain things, certain policies. When we look at what was happening up in Cowdersport, just you know, just because a particular parameter is below the EPA MCL or maximum contaminant level, doesn't get somebody off the hook. And what John's referring to in Cowdersport is uh, there's a company up there named JKLM Energy who's owned by Terry Pagula, who's also the owner of the Buffalo Bills, and they had illegally injected a chemical into the aquifer trying to recover a drill bit that they had lost where they injected uh, surfactants, it was F485, and then uh, rock drill oil. And the rock drill oil was filled with benzene-type compounds and things, and acetone was also part of the surfactant. And they started to find uh, some of these new chemicals in, in drinking water, not only in, in private drinking water, but they found it in public drinking water. And then they denied that they found it in public drinking water. It wasn't until Public Herald published a number of stories and you know found somewhere in a 400-page document that this actually was in public drinking water, uh, that they came out and admitted that. But when they admitted that, that it was in public drinking water, they said, well, what it's below the maximum contaminant level that we consider safe for human consumption. So they never ruled that the public drinking water supply was impacted by JKLM Energy and Cowdersport. Instead, uh, they opted to say that since the chemical was below the MCL, therefore the water is drinkable, and uh, therefore they let the company off the hook. Yeah, but you know, more to the point that it was also for the hospital. And, you know, you're talking about a community that is compromised to begin with. You know, MCLs are based on the general public. Well, we would be hopeful that DEP would step in there, right? Oh, absolutely. And but they're not. So, I mean, when we talk about, you know, what it is that we're supposed to be hopeful for at the end here, is our end game really at the attorney general's door? I mean, how else do we, do we get DEP to, to change their behavior after more than a decade of seeing this? Yeah. Well, again, you know, uh, if any pressure can be put on, then then it has to be done because right now, you know, business as usual is is not working. So, is there a light at the end of this tunnel? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so because um, what's at stake here is is the you know again the, the, not just the citizens of of Pennsylvania, but one of our most precious resources, uh, which thankfully we still have quite a bit of, and that's fresh water. We are going to be a water-rich state. We are, but I'm saying that in the global scheme of things, we are going to be a water-rich area. We are going to need that water for agriculture. We're going to need that water for industry. We're going to need that water for drinking. And to allow a situation to develop where um, that is being put at risk is, is just it, it's suicidal. Well, with that, I think we'll hopefully talk about that in a podcast in the future. But uh, thanks for being here, John, and it's always a pleasure to hear from you. All right. Thanks a lot, Josh. And uh, that was Dr. John Stoltz from Duquesne University, who's also on the Science Advisory Board for Public Herald. He worked with us in our 2017 report about complaints and continues to work with us on stories here uh, in regards to oil and gas development. For more about his, his work and those stories, you can visit publicherald.org and uh, read the reports from 2017. They were published in January and February. And Public Herald is a nonprofit. We're publicly funded. 
And if you want to help us out with our work, you can always go to publicherald.org slash donate and contribute. You can get copies of our documentary Triple Divide or Triple Divide Redacted or reserve your copy of the latest film coming out in visible hand. And this has been News Coup. Thank you for listening from our offices in Pittsburgh.